hear it. Is this the... Yes, it is. It's the High Capacity Podcast by Legally Armed America. I'm, of course, Paul Glasgow, your host and freedom pimp. We got a lot of stuff to go over today, guys. We're going to be talking with Phil Labonte, the lead singer and one of the founders of All That Remains, heavy metal band from up northeast. Phil's a big-time libertarian. What an interesting conversation I had with Phil. And we'll be talking about some stuff that you're probably going to want to chase some links or do some Googling on. We're also going to be talking about Remington's insurer's payout of $73 million. A little bit of information on Alec Baldwin's case of the shooting. And, of course, not a word of this is possible without the help of Arms Corps Ammunition, Rock Island Armory, Spartan Armor, and Right to Bear Insurance. Links are going to be in the description below. Guys, I have a lot to go over. Let's jump right into it. Guys, by now, most of you have heard about the Remington settlement with these Sandy Hook folks out there that sued them. A group of people sued Remington. And of course, you guys know that Remington was the owner of Bushmaster during the Sandy Hook rampage killings in 2012. A lot of different information. I don't want to say misinformation because a lot of times when somebody's disseminating information, they they get it from the news source and the news source is just not accurate. I guess that still is indirectly misinformation, but I don't think anybody is purposely spreading that. A lot of people are talking about how Remington paid out $73 million. First of all, there is no Remington anymore. Remington filed, I don't know how many times they filed for bankruptcy, but Remington is not an actual company. The company that was actually sued is not even an entity anymore. What it was is it was attorneys. It was four attorneys that agreed to pay out this money. It was, uh, I think Remington had offered $33 million to the victims' families uh, some years back. That was turned down. And they continued to push. And of course, they ended up getting the $73 million. And it was four insurance companies that were involved in this whole lawsuit who were the ones who agreed to pay that. Now, I am no attorney, but you and I all know that whenever a settlement is made, it's never, well, it's not always an admission of guilt. Yes, it can be an admission of guilt. I do think that in some cases uh, it can be. But sometimes it's it's the fact that you may have a, Let's say if it were a high-profile person, they may not want to go to court because they don't want to have text messages subpoenaed where they sent some stuff that was totally unrelated to the case and they don't want it to become public knowledge. So a lot of times it can be protecting things like that. Uh, It can also be a matter of we know the court system that we're going into that would be biased. We know it would be biased against them. Um, So they may say we don't feel like we stand a chance. We may not quote, lose, but we're going to pay out in a, a huge amount of money. So let's just settle for this amount of money to prevent losing that much more money. Again, it doesn't mean that you're admitting guilt or the insurance companies themselves are even admitting guilt. Sometimes it's just a way to eliminate paying out additional expenses that you know you're going to pay out anyway. My guess is the four insurance companies who were representing or protecting ins- uh, Remington's interest probably saw this as, hey, you know, we're going to pay out $73 million at some point anyway. When you look at the expenses that we're going to incur along with what we're going to agree to pay out. So let's just go ahead and cut cut this out, you know, out right now and get it over with. Um, however, you have your folks on the left who are certainly, they're celebrating big time. Um, in fact, I'm looking at a headline right now from the New York Times that says a blueprint for suing gun makers emerges. You know, 
I'm going to look at this, this article and kind of look at some of the stuff that you guys can kind of understand. One of the things that they mentioned in here, following the family's approach could be difficult. Uh, it states that states have a patchwork of consumer protection laws like Connecticut's. New York has adopted one. California lawmakers have in introduced one such bill. But such measures are far from common, and legal experts had long questioned whether the federal shield would protect Remington as it has other gun manufacturers. As you guys will remember, Remington was sued in this case not because they had liability in the killer using their firearm in the uh, alleged killings, it was more so that they had uh, deceptive marketing or that it was alleged that they had deceptive marketing practices, that they were marketing this, quote, military style combat weapon to young men and people like that. I think one of the terms that was actually made was that in their uh, marketing, which I don't know how this makes any difference whatsoever, even if it was legitimate, but it said, consider your man card reissued. Okay, whoop-de-doo. Um, how does that somehow equate to deceptive marketing practices when buying anything, whether it's a hamburger, uh, a car, uh, whatever, especially a gun? But nevertheless, that's how they use that. Uh, they said gun industry executives also argued that the settlement was agreed to by insurers of Remington, which is bankrupt, and that solvent companies would mount more vigorous legal defenses. You understand what he's saying right there? He's saying that Remington was not a, uh, an operating business anyway, so these folks were just looking to move on. That any legitimate functioning company that's out there right now, like say, I'm just using this as an example, a Smith & Wesson, a Ruger, a Daniel Defense, a Wyndham Weaponry, they were more likely to be extremely more aggressive and defend this a whole lot harder than, say, these these attorneys with Remington would be. Because again, they would be solvent companies that were trying to protect their own interest and not just looking at it in terms as an insurance payout. Nevertheless, this is certainly something that everyone is going to look at. And I hate to use the word precedent because precedent has a legal meaning in the legal world. So when we say it's going to set a precedent, my, my, my use of that word is not what an attorney's use of the word would be. When I say it's going to set precedent, what I mean is it's it's basically paving the way for other people. It gives somebody else an idea that might want to use these same tactics in suing another uh, excuse me, uh, firearms uh, company. So that's what I mean when I say it's setting a precedent. I put a video out saying it set a precedent. I didn't mean it like that because I am not an attorney and I wasn't realizing that I was using a, a word in a legal setting that meant something very specific. No, I don't mean that it's setting a legal precedent as far as the courts are concerned. I mean that people out in the world are now going to look at this as a different pathway to try to sue a firearms manufacturer by going back and flipping through old, old uh, magazines, gun magazines, and seeing how the ads were worded seeing what they put in the ad, what's in the background of the ad. You know, is there a, a mom with a kid, you know, are they cooking supper behind the guy cleaning his, you know what I mean? Anything like that. I see this now as opening the door for a totally different approach for some of these people to try to go at gun manufacturers and to put them out of business. And look, as I stated in my video, this cost is going to be passed on to us. Someone doesn't have to be sued for costs to immediately go up. I would be willing to bet that immediately any policies that were being renewed for firearms manufacturers after this lawsuit uh, or this settlement was made for $73 million, I can assure you that when Mr. Ruger calls, uh, you know, whoever XYZ insurance tomorrow 
and says, hey, man, I need to renew my policy. They're like, oh, it just went up quite a bit. Why? Not because they think they're going to get sued, but because they have to prepare for being sued. They have to know that, look, I'm an insurance company. I'm insuring this company for X amount of dollars in case something happens. This is kind of groundbreaking. So now they have to prepare for the next guy that's going to use the same approach in suing that Ruger company or whomever else. So now it's going to go up. Do you think Ruger, Smith & Wesson, Daniel Defense, and all those guys are now going to absorb this additional cost just because they're nice guys? Nope. Where does that cost go? It goes to you and it goes to me. So we can look for ammunition. You can look for definitely firearms. All of that's going to go up at some point, probably immediately, because these people are going to want to start recovering this money right away for the, the perceived or expected, I should say, increase in pricing for them going forward, just as an operating cost. So definitely look for that. I want to touch real briefly on the Alec Baldwin saga of him accidentally killing the young lady on the set, uh, Lena Hutchins. It's recently a video has come out and it's definitely looking like Baldwin did some negligent things, if you will. They put out, yeah, it's kind of a 3D rendered, uh, almost like a cartoonish type. I don't want to say cartoon because I'm trying, not trying to make fun, but it's it's an animation of what is supposed to have happened uh, during the shooting and all that. And uh, there are a lot of allegations being made. Uh, supposedly, Baldwin refused uh, a particular type of training that he was supposed to have. And, and, you know, granted, a lot of this stuff, especially in California, but a lot of this is union run and union controlled. So the union mandates a lot of things. And for as much disdain as I have for unions, because I think they cause a lot of problems, in cases like this, they do push safety and requirements that should be followed. And there were some things that were mandated that Baldwin was supposed to follow, and he refused to do so. Well, no one's questioning the guy. He's the executive producer, writer, and all kinds of other stuff. He carries a lot of weight, and he is who he is. You know, as much as I dislike the guy, he is a, a very well-known guy. So people are afraid to push back. And it wasn't even the armorer who handled Baldwin, the revolver that was loaded. Baldwin, at that point, if it wasn't the armorer, Baldwin should have refused it. Baldwin's job also was to check the firearm himself, especially because it was given to him by the a non-armorer, which, again, he should have refused it at that point. But they also show in their video, you know, how you can look and see when a, uh, a, a bullet a round is a dummy round or if it is a live round. They say that apparently they drill a hole in the side and they empty all the powder out, of course. They take the primer out. So you can look at the primer because there should be an absent primer if it's a dummy round. And there should be a hole in the side. In fact, I think they put a BB inside the gun, uh, excuse me, the bullet. So if you shake it, it rattles inside. So you know that there's no gunpowder inside. And that is, you know, yes, there's a projectile on the front, but there's no gunpowder and no primer. So nothing can happen whenever that uh, that hammer comes down. Uh, Baldwin didn't check any of that stuff. Uh, and again, he refused a particular type of training that he was supposed to have in order to use that, uh, that, that firearm. In fact, I believe it was, uh, it was told that in the type of setting that he was in is more of an aim type setting to aim how you wanted to position where the gun would be pointed, that he was supposed to use uh, a rubber gun, not even a real gun at that point. So really some very questionable stuff coming out. This is from a lawsuit of Helene Hutchinson's uh, family who's suing Alec Baldwin. This just came out this past week. I'll have a video of this on the Legally Armed America 
YouTube page. Again, the Legally Armed America YouTube page. If you go check that out, probably in the next day or so, I will have that out. By the time you hear this podcast uh, on Monday the 21st, it will be out. So uh, go look for that if you will. Friends, this next guest of mine is an absolute blast to interview. Phil Abani, he's the lead singer of the heavy metal band All That Remains. These guys have sold millions of records worldwide, toured worldwide, been around since the early 2000s. Just an absolute blast to talk to Phil. Phil is a big-time Second Amendment supporter, and not just an, a rabid Second Amendment supporter. He's a big libertarian. He believes in personal rights, personal freedoms, personal choice, and that's where he aligns himself with the Second Amendment. He's not as—he's not like me. I'm, I start out as a staunch Second Amendment guy. He starts out as a staunch choice guy and just happens to believe that we should also be able to own whatever we want to own in the firearms community. Known Phil for a little bit of while. Um, again, a blast to talk to him. Check this out. This is a great conversation with Phil. Hey, Phil, welcome to the show, man. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing really well, man. Always good to talk to you. Uh, miss seeing you at SHOT Show. Uh, for everyone that doesn't know you, um, I, I, I kind of put a pretty good little introduction out there, but you are a gun guy, and that's actually how I know you. I mean, I was a fan of yours before I met you uh, through All That Remains, but got to know you through the Second Amendment and uh, your devotion to that, I should say. Uh, seen you a lot at SHOT Show. You've been on uh, some of my live streams at SHOT Show. Always thankful and grateful for you doing that. Um, yeah, we missed you at SHOT Show, though, so let's talk about that. Let's let's talk about why you weren't at SHOT Show this year, because we would have loved to have seen you there. Uh, well, you know, to be honest with you, uh, there's a lot of stuff that we're doing, uh, that All the Remains is doing, and I had to keep my uh, my attention focused here. We're building out essentially a production studio. So for, for a long time, the rehearsal space or our practice space has essentially been a, a what amounts to a garage and a storage space and we'd go in there we rehearse and it just was a place for our gear um i've been there for 10 years and i decided that with covid and all the things that have happened i was i kind of was like you know we really should have a place that we can produce music ourselves that we can make youtube videos and and kind of control our career more we're we're at a point where we have one more record with our label and i don't see a reason to sign another record deal anymore um so i want to so basically we're preparing all that remains the business for kind of a, the next phase and 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 kind of gearing up for the future so we're, we're building out a studio and i've been doing doing that here and uh, that has been taken up that has taken up most of the past two or three months since we started i think Okay. So that, that was the reason I couldn't, the, the main reason I couldn't get the, get out the shot show. Well, year. you guys must be getting kind of close to wrapping up or else you're going to take a hiatus from that. Cause I know you guys are going on tour around March 12th, I believe it is. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're, we're going on tour. We're going to be doing, we will be streaming some of the rehearsals at the practice space, but a lot of the oh, reason cool. that, we've been, that it's been taking so long is it, you know, the, the, the supply chain issues I've been, I've been waiting a month for a desk uh. so I can, to build to build this you know for a, a studio desk that i can put my, my my racks and stuff in i've been waiting a month for the thing to come in and i think it's going to arrive today but but it's it's been stuff like that we are going on tour um so we will be streaming our rehearsals on our twitch page which is something else that we've been moving into um and we're making like we're actually going to be streaming a lot of the building of this building up of the studio as we get more parts in and, and stuff so but the fall of ideals is uh is 15 years old as of last year the record came out in 2006 and that's kind of the record that put us on the map so we're going on tour 
to celebrate the first headline tour that we ever did on the Fall of Ideals. Uh, we're doing it for, for the anniversary of that uh, this year. Uh, we start March 12th in Worcester, Massachusetts at the Worcester Palladium. Um, tickets are already are on sale and they have been selling very, very fast. I'm not sure when this is actually going to go, but like, I mean, the place is already half sold out, so and it's like a month until the show. So if people are listening in New England, you should probably get your tickets um, or get your tickets for the tour. They're available at all that remains online.com. Now, with um, this being uh, the Fall of Ideals 15th anniversary tour, is the show going to be a little bit different, more leaning towards a lot of the material off of Fall of Ideals? Yeah, we're going to do the whole record for the first time ever. We're doing like wow. back to front. Um, we'll start with the. Uh, with the last song and, and like the last song that we play of the night will be the first song on the record, which is this calling. So it's kind of, you know, good for the, uh, the, um, for that kind of big finale thing. And then we'll probably come out and do an encore of a, a handful of songs, um, that aren't on the, you know, that are, that are, you know, the songs that people know us for. So we'll probably come out and do like two weeks and, you know, maybe we'll do, uh, do the last time or, or, you know, some of our other songs that are, post the fall of ideal but we're doing that song from back to front uh, our bass player on this tour is matt dice who people might remember from back in the day when he played with us on the this dark and heart record uh, so it's a it's a bit of a nostalgia tour um and then once we get done with that we've got a we're gonna hammer down we have a new record that we're working on that we hope will be out this year and if not it'll be out early next year but we've got demos and stuff going now and we should be able to get it finished up this year and and i want to see it out by christmas if possible oh very cool i know that they can find for sure the tour dates at all that remains online.com is that is that correct is that a good place for them to go all that remains online.com or you can check people can check out like our instagram page which is instagram.com you know slash all that remains and and there's you know we're on the facebook and and all that stuff so the standard places on the internet you know yeah, I, I actually personally enjoy following you you guys uh, on the Instagram, uh, the All That Remains, and of course your personal, uh, you know, Instagram account on uh, Instagram. Of course, that's always fun to watch. I enjoy the, I don't know, the connection that you kind of see some of the other stuff, side stuff that you're doing instead of always the, the official stuff. It's neat to see that kind of offhand stuff that you guys are doing, working on, and like you mentioned, the studio and all that. I mean, you you kind of elaborated a little bit on it, but. You know, those of us that see y'all's posts, we knew y'all were kind of working on that on the side. So that's kind of neat to connect. Uh, I think that's one thing, one of the few positives that probably we've gotten out of social media is sometimes you get to see things you wouldn't have normally seen. Yep. I think that that's important. Um, you can be a, um, you can be an artist or, or an entertainer that, that is not connected with their audience, but I think that it's, for, at least for me, I really enjoy being connected to the, to the people that dig our stuff. You know, I really like the fact that people can, you know, shoot a message and, and, and I'll, you know, I'll read it. If someone shoots me a message on, on my Instagram page, like I'll, I will read it, you know, like, mm -hmm. and then I start, I did start a new one. My other one got sniped at, uh, or got sniped when, uh, right around the election. I, I don't know what I did. I don't, I didn't <laughs> do anything political like i was never political on my instagram page i'm political on twitter i'll admit that mm -hmm. very political on twitter but like instagram and twitch and like i don't want people to think that like i'm always political all the time like that's not my deal like i on on other platforms and stuff like that that's not you know that's not like political stuff and so i didn't get it when they 
they booted me off uh, off Instagram. But I started another one, so it's still that remains official. I've always thought that was funny how the different uh, social media platforms have their own kind of like you really take the gloves off on Twitter when you <laughs> when you want to really let somebody yeah. know how you feel. That's where you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, if you see, if you come to my Instagram page and you say something, I might delete it, or I might be like, "Oh, come on, man, we're all just trying to have a good time." <laughs> you say something on Twitter, I'd be like, "Might be like, motherfucker, let me drop this on you." Yeah, yeah let me get something to drink. I got to settle in on this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Google. I'm going to Google up a million reasons why you're an idiot. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's why everyone, if you notice, whenever somebody says something stupid, you always hear about them deleting their stuff from Twitter. Nowhere else yeah. they go to Twitter because that's where they've lashed yeah. out. That's right, man. <laughs> it's true. It's, it, it seems like people don't pay attention to dumb stuff on, on Facebook as much anymore. It's always dumb stuff on Twitter. That's right. Yep. You know, but that could be just my impression. But. I want to get your thoughts on uh, some other stuff kind of going on uh, in, in this hemisphere. I know this is not gun related, but I want your thoughts on the uh, Canadian trucker situation going on and uh, what those guys are doing and how they're doing it. And really the response, uh, like the media's painting of what the picture is and the actual picture, just, just your thoughts on that, if you will. I think that, so obviously there's a lot of things going on in that, you know, that situation you've got the, the actual lockdowns, which I'm not familiar with the, with the actual laws in Canada. So it's tough for me to be too, uh, uh, sorry, my dog just ran into the door. It's tough for me to be too, too stern on Canada because I don't, I don't know what they're, you know, legally obliged to and stuff. Um, I know that what the limits that are placed on the U S government are significant and unique, especially when compared with other uh, countries. Uh, I also know that people in Canada and stuff tend to not realize that they're not as free as they think. Mm -hmm. uh, governments aren't as limited as they think they are. Um, I saw something that Justin Trudeau said, I think over the weekend about, uh, you know, when the government does it, it's that makes it legal. And that's just a terrible mindset. Mm. I don't know. I think that the, the truckers seem, the truckers are definitely legitimately peaceful. They're not like peaceful protests, like the riots, uh, you know, two years ago or in, in 2020 here mm. in the U S. Um, so the, slander and and just insults and and terrible treatment by the media is honestly par, par for the course because the the narrative that's being spun by the left broadly uh whenever anyone stands up to authority is they're just get all ever since hillary clinton said at the basket of deplorables if you do anything that, that the government doesn't like you just get tossed into the you know the 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 basket of deplorables and and that's what trudeau's done and i'm really hopeful that the population is going to look around and say no that's not what these people are i really hope that justin trudeau has blown it for the left narrative moving forward and I think that he's done great damage to their argument because I think most people know that the truckers are not racist, that they're not bigots. Canada is a different context than the United States, right? Like there was not the same history in Canada. They have, they do have their own, you know, their, their own uh, 
history uh, with the within the indigenous people there or with the uh, first nations and stuff but that's not the same history of racism that the u.s has so this co-opting of racist intent and and you know the kkk stuff and the southern flag that we saw at the protest and and using that narrative against canadians who come from a very different you know have who who exist in a very different context shows that it's not actually based in reality but it's based in a narrative and hopefully people see that they've overplayed their hands and hopefully people see that that this is just an excuse for the government to exercise power and and hopefully people push back on that well I, and i do think the people i've taken notice you make a great point that I think we even condition ourselves where we just get used to the word racism getting getting slung around. And it's unfortunate because it really waters down the, the true racism that might be existing out there, the people that truly need help. And sure, I, sure. I feel like the people in Canada, their, their reaction right now is very similar to if somebody calls me a racist and I'm like, what? You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. When you're not a racist and you get called that, but we're used to it down here. Up there, yeah. they're not. So when you call them that, they're like, where is this coming from? I've never done anything racist. And there was like a Confederate flag up there. One. (laughs) I'm like, you cannot paint these people with that broad of a brush because they're not going to tolerate it. Because they, again, like you said, they have not had the issues that we've had down here with media pushing this narrative and all that. You know, so when you all of a sudden slap it on an entire group of people and there's zero advice or uh, 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 evidence of it. I think they're going to push back pretty hard. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope so. Um, I think that, you know, whatever the political situation is in Canada when it comes to, you know, their their lockdowns and, and the freedom of movement that people have in Canada and stuff, I think that whatever that it happens to be and whatever the people of Canada decide to do about that, that's one thing. The government of Canada just coming out and saying some of our population that are exercising their their right uh which i'm not it's not a first amendment right this is this is a this is a a right that is based in their humanity that is the right to express themselves uh about something they're dissatisfied with uh and then for him to just say that because of that they are among the worst that humanity has to offer, in my opinion, that has delegitimized the Trudeau administration. And I mean, not that Americans really ever take can Canadian politics all that seriously. We're definitely like, yeah, you guys are our hat, you know. But at the same time, you know, when you've got a a prime minister speaking about a portion of his population as if they are vermin then you have a problem with that prime minister. Right, right. And, and a lot of this is kind of spurred by the whole COVID thing. And I think the fact that maybe some of these governments and these people who really have enjoyed this control, they're losing their grip a little bit. So I think it makes them want to hold on to that a little bit tighter because they don't want to lose the, the grip entirely. Um, yeah. Speaking of that whole COVID thing, what are your thoughts on just the changes we've seen across the country, whether it be, again, speaking from your libertarian side, just the fact that we like to make our own choices, that I, and this is not anything, a specific topic on like either masks or, uh, or even vaccines or whatever, just in general. 
What do you see as far as where we're headed now and things that probably have changed for good, unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, in terms of how we've all reacted and the things that have taken place with the virus? Um, I mean, it's been, I mean, it's, it's been disheartening. Um, I think that there, and, and I was a guy that in the beginning, I was like, you know, I think masks are okay. I think it's all right. I think it's okay for, for places to say, if you're going to come in, you should have a mask. And I don't think that the government should ever mandate it because mandates require force to enforce, must be enforced. That, that's it. Mandates mean police and, and mean people that are peaceful getting beat up. That's what mandates mean. And so I've been 100% against mandates from the very beginning. Um, but I've always been like, I don't see that it's all that big of a deal to wear one. We don't, and this is when the first, you know, this is right when it first came out and like we didn't know anything and we didn't know how deadly it was. And it looked like it still could be something where, you know, you could have like a, a three, four, 5% death rate. Cause we didn't, you know, and it's like, that's, you know, millions and millions of yeah. people and that's probably stacked up and that's hospitals full. And I'm like, yeah, it's not a big deal to wear a mask. No problem. Right. But then by the time the summer rolls around, we're like, okay, masks probably aren't really doing anything because nobody ever really wears them. You're picking your nose, you're moving them around where, you know, you're there, the, the air is getting out. Okay. So, so maybe they do a little bit in that they, you know, your water droplets aren't flying around in the air, but it's, they're not going to stop the pandemic because obviously it, it keeps, you know, people are still getting COVID and, and, you know, the 14 days to slow the spread didn't do anything and blah, blah, blah. So by then I was like, all right, well, I'm kind of over it. And then we kept doing it for a year and a half. You know, by February, I was like, maybe I should get out of the Northeast for a little while. And I moved to, to Texas for a year, um, you know, just to kind of go hang out with some friends and, and get away from the winter a little bit. But like the, the part of that also was like, I wasn't sure what was going to happen in New York and DC. And I didn't want to be cut off from the rest of the country, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I, I think that it, it's, it's, it's done significant damage to the credibility of the government, which wasn't all that great in the first place. And that has moved the government to want to implement more authoritarian measures uh, when it comes to uh, monitoring. We just, I, there, which I think that the, I think that that's a kind of a, a losing game about whether or not we'll be monitored. I think that's obvious. Now I think the question is whether or not, we're going to be able to prevent them from implanting chips in our brain. <laughs> right. People laugh at that, but Elon Musk is literally developing that technology right now. If you put a chip in your brain, can you ever be sure that you thought something or that it wasn't implanted there? True. So that's what my big concern is i think that i don't think that elon and i, I got i was i had a conversation with james Lindsay, uh and my buddy reed coverdale um on reed's podcast and we were talking about this and, and it didn't occur to me um but it has now we literally are on the cusp of a science fiction future where people where only a select group of people get to think and everybody else is everybody else has their thoughts implanted in their brain for them. Well, enlighten me on that. I'm not familiar with the what research or whatever uh, Musk is doing on that. Okay, so Elon Musk is 
it has a company called Neuralink, and the company is is currently learning to learning how to implant computer chips chips into your into brains, and it's it's in the trials right now that he's he's. Uh, I mean, it's it's not this is not some kind of hidden thing or it's not a secret. Right. In fact, there's part of me that thinks that Musk. The, what, James Lindsay also said this in the conversation. He thinks that Musk is trying to get there first because if a country like China gets that technology or if a government that is not limited gets that technology, they're just going to start chipping their, their, their population. Right. Like, like if, if China has that ability, China is just going to say, guess what you're doing? I mean, they're welding, they were welding people in their houses. Over COVID, your human rights don't matter in China. So what what the fight is right now when it comes to the vaccine is does the government have the right to do medical procedures on you? That fight will translate into does the government have the right to put a chip in your brain? Hmm. Well, out of curiosity, that, that chip, so from what you're saying, it's like a thought-provoking type chip? Well, no, right now what it is, right now the the... The, the thought process is to eliminate the interface between your phone and your thumbs, or I'm sorry, between your phone and your brain. Right now, the interface is your thumbs. It mm -hmm. used to be your fingers. That's how you got information from your brain into the computer. You used your thumbs, you typed into a computer. What he's looking to do is use the Neuralink to be able to input onto the pad or in, input words into the phone, which the phone will then translate and or, or will understand and be able to you know do do searches and stuff that's the first step but if you can if you can learn how to have a phone or have a, a hard piece of hardware interface with the wetware that is your brain so that way the neurons if, if, if the if the piece of hardware can understand the neurons firing then the piece of hardware can can induce the neurons to fire so if the piece of hardware can endorse the neurons to fire, then it can create thoughts. Mm -hmm. So it's all a matter of just decoding these things. It's just learning how to do it. It's not a matter of can it. It's a matter of when will we be able to. And it is significantly closer than people realize. I think you will find people uh, not just in – in backwoods and uh, places that law enforcement normally wouldn't go to confiscate it, uh, <laughs> an AR-15 magazine or something like that. I think you're going to find that if something like that ever starts to happen, uh, just using the word mandate around something like that is going to create some things that the federal government probably doesn't want to happen. I, I would have thought the same thing before covid well this is true too i mean <laughs> yeah i can't so that, i can't argue remember, with that remember how we remember how we got here you, you brought we brought this came up because you were like what do you think about covid yeah the the point is the fight over covid the fight over can they make you get a medical procedure is this same fight and if you if we lose the covid fight then we've given ground and the next fight will be, it won't be, oh, can they put a computer chip in your brain? It will be something else that's not as invasive as putting a computer chip in your brain, but it'll be something, it'll be another step. And I, there might be people out there that are hearing this for the first time, and they're like, Phil, you're crazy. You can Google Neuralink. 
You can go and look at what Elon Musk is doing. Uh, you know, and, and I'm an Elon Musk fan. Like, I'm a big fan of Starlink. I'm a big fan of, of, uh, of the idea of going, to, going to, the, to, the, to the moon and to Mars. One of the reasons why I think Elon Musk is kind of the good guy, and why I think that, that uh, James Lindsay is, is probably right about him, is because one time I heard, or one in, in a, an interview that Elon Musk was giving, Someone said to him, well, what do you think authoritarian countries are going to do or what can they do about controlling the information that's going into their countries if you put Starlink up and broadcast open Internet into the, you know, from space? And he said, well, they can shake their fist at the sky. Right now, in China, if you Google or if you look, use the computer and look up Tiananmen Square, nothing about the massacre comes up, mm -hmm. right? But if you put if Elon Musk puts Starlink in there and it is fed by and it is the internet fed by not a government controlled entity, which I think Google and Facebook and blah blah blah, those companies fall under a government controlled ent entity, but that's a whole other topic. If Starlink is up there and it offers that possibility to people that are in oppressed countries, that's circumventing the authoritarian's ability to be authoritarian because information, you know, the information, information is one of the first things that authoritarians try to control. Well, if there's any kind of thing like that, that happens, I, I would say that the first hint that it's on the way to being uh, at least required or some kind of a mandate is if they start figuring out a way to uh, tie public safety to it. Cause clearly that's how they got to all the mandates and most of the control that they have through uh, COVID was uh, declaring public safety. We wouldn't have vaccine mandates and there would be no question of it if they weren't using the term public safety and saying that it needs to be done uh, to ensure public safety. So what you're describing probably uh, gains traction is if they can tie it somehow to public safety. I would imagine so. I mean, that's, that, that makes the most sense. And then, you know, you can, you can see people talk about, uh, you know, electric cars and stuff and, and, I imagine a, I can imagine a future where there will be fights in Congress over whether or not people should be allowed to drive cars anymore. Yeah, true. Because eventually the technology will get to the point where it will be much safer for the computer to control the car than for the the person. It might be hard for the computer. It might be hard to get to develop the technology, but eventually that will happen. And then there will be people that are like, well, I want to drive my 2020 Ford antique that, you know, that I bought or whatever, I want to drive it or, or I want to drive my car. And then people, there will be people saying no, because 40,000 people a year die on the road with people <laughs> driving. We have to, we have to stop that. And by then most, by the time there's legislation, most people will be in, in electric cars that are in, in cars that are controlled by computers anyways. And so it'll be almost a moot point. They'll be trying to save like a thousand lives. Really what they want is to make sure that no one has any cars that are not under their control. Well, you mentioned that. It's funny you, you even say that, the, the link to that. Um, if you'll remember, uh, who was it? Was it either Biden or someone in the Biden administration made the comment the other day that, uh, oh, yeah, it was. It was Buttigieg uh, had made the comment that they were looking to minimize or, uh, excuse me, reduce uh, vehicle fatalities down to zero. That, yeah. that is an impossibility. I don't even know how you can say those words, but you're right. It ties directly into what you're saying, because the only way to make it to where you can, well, theoretically get it down to zero is if no one's driving the cars anymore, don't control them anymore. 
Look, no kidding around. I know that this sounds very foreign to some of your listeners. The people that are taught, like when Buttigieg says we want to bring car fat, you know, fatalities down to zero, the future that allows for that is literally the Borg from Star Trek. Right. Like no one has, like no one has any autonomy, and, and you can't do anything that is dangerous. Like it is literally that's the, that's the only way you can can make everyone safe and and have like zero fatalities. Like that's that's crazy person talk. Like that is literally. I can justify killing millions because once those millions are dead, then there won't be any more dead after afterwards at all. You know, it's like it's it's crazy person talk. Dot 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 in the name of public safety. Yeah, crazy person <laughs> talk. Crazy person yep, talk. Unreal. Yeah. Well, look, I, I got a quick question to you about all of this. These topics we're on. Any positives come out of any of this? Again. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. And I like to think that in most cases, have you seen anything that you think is actually a positive that we might have pulled out of this? I, and I will tell you, mine is that more people wash their hands now. That's my positive. But have you seen any? Yeah. More people wash their, I think it, more, more people wash their hands. I do think that more people are, are more people are more skeptical of the government. And I think that that's a good thing personally. That's I don't an know if excellent it's enough. Point. I don't know if it's enough, but I do think that it's a good thing. No, but you're, you're right. Cause you even see it. Uh, you kind of see some of the the lunatics out there that are kind of turning on themselves now, like their own people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. So that's, to me, a sign that someone will not come out openly and say, all right, I think the CDC is full of bull. You know what I mean? But but they're, they're like, wait a minute, you know, because <laughs> they're getting tired of being told 10 different things, depending on what month it is or what new strain or any, not even COVID related. They're just getting tired of the misinformation. And they'll say, yeah. well, wait a minute. I remember you saying this last time. Yeah. Yeah. It. it it is it that is definitely true that is that you're you're 100 percent on point with that i think you're exactly right um and and it that's you know that's hopeful because or, or for me that's you know i'm hopeful because of that you know the the uh the ability to control people is is closely tied to the ability to frighten people um and i think the more people start saying you know what that's ridiculous and mocking the things that are that that they hear from you know the, the things that are they're told that are intended to scare them the more they mock them and they laugh at them and they poke fun at them and, the, and they say that's silly that's ridiculous i think the more uh the more people will start to see that the things they're they're told are actually silly and ridiculous and and deserving of mockery i want to kind of change gears a little bit to the firearm side of it. Now you're, you're very, a uh, very intelligent guy. You always have been, I've always admired the way you speak and carry yourself. In fact, I love when you go on Andrew Wilkow's show, that's an absolute joy. Cause I love him and I like it whenever you're He's on good. there. Uh, so kudos whenever you're on there, you do a wonderful job of it. Um, but one of the things that I've always admired about you is that you're not uh, a fair weather, um, you know, party person, it, you really try to look, look at things and break them down. And one thing that I see is that, and I talk to a lot of my viewers and listeners that everything starts somewhere. Every anti-constitutional thing originated somewhere. And many times we paint ourselves into a corner for things that happen in California. Oh, that's California. That's California. That we don't, I'm never going to live there. You're crazy for living there. Well, guess what? A lot of these anti-gun bills 
originated from there, or at least the idea of them. Uh, you don't exactly live in the freest state up there either, you know? So, I mean, you see a lot of this crazy stuff up there. So I'm just yeah. curious how you feel about, from a Second Amendment, some of the things that we're seeing now, like just recently a big story that we talked about was you know, mandating insurance and fees, taxes just to be a gun owner. No, yeah. no, no other reason, just to be a gun owner. What are you, what's your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I live in New Hampshire, so I, I actually I moved I moved to from Massachusetts. Oh, okay, to I didn't Hampshire. realize that. Sorry. Yeah, I moved I moved up here uh, because of exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> because in Massachusetts, you know, you, it's it's a privilege to own a gun. It's not a right, and and they can take you know they can take that privilege away. You know, it's it's terrible. But uh, um, but yes, uh, I mean, I'm an absolutist. I'm, I mean, politically, I'm borderline anarchist. I'm what you'd call a minarchist. I'm what the founders were. Believe that the government should be so small, you basically don't notice it. Um, so, you know, I just think it's that all the, the, the legislation and, and, and stuff and attempts to, to infringe on your basic right to own property is, uh, are wrong. And I am, a, I am an, I'm an absolutist in the second amendment uh, or for the Second Amendment, absolutely, like, without question, there's no hesitation there. You know, I'm pro-machine gun, pro-tank, uh, pro-private F-16 ownership, full-on, full set, you know, full-throated endorsement of the Second Amendment. But that's because I'm a full-throated endorser of property rights, and I don't make a distinction about what property, uh, you know, you can own and you can't. Obviously, you can't own a human. They don't. Don't, I don't want right. to get in stupid ideas, but when it comes to when it comes to property rights, you can own whatever you want to own without the government saying no, you can't. You know, like that's just that's just the way it is. So whether it be a chainsaw so you can cut down a tree, or a machine that lets you cut down a whole forest, if it's your forest and it's your machine, the government doesn't have a right to say anything about it, in my opinion. Now, obviously. You have to be responsible with your property and you can't harm other people, right? Like you can't have a, just cause you have a gun doesn't mean you can go shoot your neighbor. Uh, but that's part of freedom free. You don't get freedom without responsibility, right. you know? So the government doesn't have a right to tell you what property you can and can't own. The government doesn't have a right to, to tell you what you're allowed to do because inherently you are free and the government, the, the, the powers that the government has are limited. I agree. And you mentioned about cutting the trees down is, I guess the fallacy there, whenever you realize that the government really doesn't care about the tree, they care about their bank account is whenever they're okay with you cutting those trees down, as long as you got permission and paid the permit fee. Yeah. You know, it's like, if, if, if you, if you will play by their rules, then you are allowed to play, you know, in their sandbox and by their rules mostly is have enough money to pay me off. So that way I will change the law for you. Right. So. Yep. Well, Phil, look, I appreciate the conversation. Always do whenever I talk to you. Uh, I mean, I could talk to you for hours. I think we have a lot in common, but I enjoy the the approach that you have. And again, it's to me, I think you're a very intelligent guy and you conduct yourself right. Um, I always get a kick out of the, um, Oh, the different Facebook, um, I don't know if you call them blogs. I don't even know what they call themselves, but like the, the blabbermouth and the, uh, oh, yeah. the, those guys. I get the hugest kick out of their headlines whenever you're involved because those guys clearly don't like your, uh, <laughs> your enjoyment of freedom in this well, country. They're literal communists. 
Yes. Like, okay, <laughs> I want to take, I want to, I want to, I want to take one second and point this out. Like, the blogs that hate me, they hate me for a lot of reasons, and one of the reasons they hate me is because they are literal communists. That is, like, as it's political flat Earth, and it's as murderous as Nazism. They're, these people deserve no quarter. They will kill until they get their utopia. So they like they are not. They're the bad guys. So if they hate me, I'm doing something good. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's the way I look at it. They 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 yeah. will cherry pick who they want to uh, pile on about and who they. Uh, I I, yeah. I follow it because I'm I, I like you guys kind of music. That's the kind of stuff that I listen to. So I try to keep an eye yeah. out for the news. You know, when are you touring? Uh, all that kind of stuff, but boy, do those types of guys pile on this? And you're exactly right. It's because of their, their, their they can't hide, and, and you see it in the comments. They can't hide their their lunatic left leaning approach. And the com people will get enough of it in the comments. I mean, there's people who don't even like you that will say, yeah. "All right, come on, guys, lighten up. You yeah. know, this is stupid." You know what I mean? Yep. I mean, so it's like, again, like we said earlier, the left is starting to eat themselves. They're starting to attack themselves now because I think people are getting fed up. They realize they're not as stupid as what the media thinks they are. Yeah, I mean, the 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 left really, really, really has a problem with purity tests and 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 the like, and that's you know that is is detrimental to their to their you know their ideology because they they do end up eating themselves alive. So. Yeah. Well, look, I know, hey, you, I'm for it. I'm I know for you it. guys they have a, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I just said, I, I said, I'm all for it. They can, they can kick the crap out of each other. I don't care. Well, look, I know you guys have a big tour coming up, uh, fall of ideals, 15th anniversary. Again, I just want to uh, repeat that again, that you can go to all that remains online.com. Uh, tour kicks off, uh, March 12th. Um, again, yes, I kind of gave you a hard time offline a minute ago that you guys will be in Houston on uh, April 30th, but Pensacola on uh, May 2nd. And I, don't, I didn't see a Louisiana date in there, but that's okay. I'll try to catch you guys in Houston, <laughs> even though you're going to be passing right through Lake Charles, Louisiana, which is where I live when on your way to Pensacola. But that's okay. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Man. You can't be everywhere, right? Right. You know, well, there's only one. Well, Phil, thank you so much. I always appreciate your conversations and your take on things. Um, if you guys ever need anything, please feel free to reach out to us, and uh, we would be happy to uh, have you back on the show again, maybe after the tour and see how things went. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you, man. All right. Did I not say it? Right? Did I not say that you'd want to chase some links or go Google some stuff? Neuralink. Neuralink. N-E-U-R-O-L-I-N-K is the link that he was talking about, about the uh, microchipping. Interesting. Always a fascinating talk whenever I get a chance to talk to Phil. Uh, I'll also post links in the description of the um, podcast below where you can go check out tour dates from them as well. But yeah, fascinating interview as always with Phil. Great, great supporter of the Second Amendment. Always enjoy talking to him. Again, guys, none of this is made possible without the help of Arms Corps Ammunition and Rock Island Armory. Those guys are huge supporters of the show. Always want to give a shout out to those guys. Please go check them out. They are the number one 1911 builder in the world. They build more 1911s than anybody else does. Great quality work for a great price. And on top of that, I'm just a big fan of Arms Corps Ammunition. Very reliable ammunition. I use it in all of my reviews on YouTube. So you can catch them on Legally Armed America anytime you check out any of my videos. All right, guys, quick little gun tip here. 
always try to do a little bit in terms of education for our children. Obviously, the next responsible Second Amendment supporters for us and our gun rights are going to be the youth that are raised up and actually become the next us being the tip of the spear and trying to fight the battle to preserve our Second Amendment rights. And it actually takes some of them back. And we can't do that if we're not teaching them responsibly. One of the things I want to point out, if we could please pass this on to our children, because there are accidental deaths in the United States, obviously in many other areas, but there are gun-related ones too. And of course, the anti-gun lunatics on the left are really, really rabid about trying to catch us. I really believe they high-five each other whenever there's an accidental shooting or worse, death of children in any kind of way, because that gives them fuel to try to hang on to some kind of feelings. I want to point out and make sure that all new gun owners out there, remember we had record numbers of gun owners in 2020 and 2021. With that comes homes that a lot of these firearms are in that didn't have them in before, and children who have not been properly exposed in some cases to firearms in the house. A lot of responsibility comes with that. Probably the number one thing that I can tell you, and we'll post some other links on this at some point and put some other tips out there, but probably the number one thing is please teach your children. Number one, don't. Don't make these firearms in your home something that is super mysterious and a mystique thing around them, an air that's going to make them get curious and go seek them out. But the most pos uh, important thing that I can pass on is, look, if your children see a gun, whether it's at your house or somebody else's house, a friend, another family member that's unattended, don't go grab it. Don't You want to tell an adult that the gun is there, but you don't do that by handling the firearm. You want to clear the room. I'm telling you, this is something we need to pass on our children. Have your child clear the room. Tell everyone to get out. Go to an adult immediately and tell the adult that there is an unattended firearm wherever it is. Now, granted, in some homes like mine, everyone is educated on the firearms. So they're going to find one unattended. Now, they happen to not be loaded but if you don't know that gun is loaded, then you don't know if it's dangerous or not. Or if somebody grabs it, could do something stupid or silly with it and, you know, may have one in the chamber. Instruct and try to get our children to understand that if you don't know the condition of that firearm, and again, we, kids should not be playing with guns anyway, immediately get everybody away, go tell an adult that that firearm is there and let the adult properly check it out. Let's hope the adults can properly clear that firearm and make sure that it's uh, empty as well. Um, clearly, there's plenty of uneducated adults out there, but that's a big tip. If we can just condition our children to not go to the firearm, not grab the firearm, not carry the firearm to an adult, just clear the area, go tell an adult, hey, there's a firearm over here that's unattended, don't know why it's there, what it's there for, if it's loaded, if it's safe, if it's unsafe, whatever, and let an adult handle it at that point. Guys, always want to point you guys to any kind of protection that you can get. Right to Bear Insurance is a great place to get coverage, like the situation that I'm talking about here, when you have potentially either an accidental death, if you have to defend yourself, anything where you actually have to utilize your firearm Right to Bear Insurance provides firearm coverage. It's a beautiful thing. It, it's going to give you attorneys that know how to deal with these types of circumstances. It's going to give you funding to allow you to get the right kind of defense that you need and the right kind of protection. Right to Bear Insurance 
go to Right to Bear Insurance online. You're going to see the link in the description below. It's definitely something you want to check into. There are several different levels that you can get into. Obviously, as you go up into the higher levels that you're going to pay a little bit more, you're going to get more in coverage in terms of dollar amounts and things like that. So check them out, Right to Bear Insurance. Y'all, we got some really cool stuff coming up. Very, very cool. Uh, for one, we have a cool giveaway with Spartan Armor. Again, supporters of the show. A very cool concealment type of armor that they have, a soft armor that you can wear under your garments. Look for that. Only going to be available for people who listen to the High Capacity Podcast. Uh, thanks for those guys, Spartan Armor, for providing that and being big supporters of the High Capacity Podcast, along with Rock Island Armory, Arms Corps Ammunition, and of course, Right to Bear Insurance. Guys, what a cool conversation with Phil Labonte. Next week, we have Chris Tonto Peranto on the show. You don't want to miss it. Thanks, guys, for hanging out with us.